John chapter 13. John chapter 13. The number 13, right, is an unlucky number in the world in which we live. No 13th floor. Friday the 13th. That type of thing. <clears throat> but we're thankful that there's a John chapter 13. <clears throat> in John chapter 13, we have the story of 13 men. We're going to look at that this morning. I just want to make a few introductory comments before we have our readers come up and share with us. First of all, you've heard this probably before, but the Gospel of John is uh, divided be- between uh, in half, kind of. You have in John chapter 1, he came unto his own, his own people, his own creation, and his own received, did not receive him. But then you have in John chapter 13, as we'll read, he was speaking to his own, having loved his own. So those two phrases can easily divide up the chapter, divide up the book of, uh, of the gospel by John. There are those that are his own naturally. John chapter 1 speaks of those that are his own by creation. He made all things, but then his own people, the Jew, was addressed in the first 12 chapters. And then there are the, his own, there are those that are his own spiritually, and that's the last part, John chapter 13 and onwards. The end of John chapter 12, imagine this. You have the Lord Jesus, the subject of our text this morning, hiding himself. He presented himself. I am come a light into the world, but there he was hiding himself because of the reception that wasn't there for the blessed Lord Jesus. And in the beginning of chapter 13, we have the Lord Jesus revealing himself, praise the Lord. Chapter 12, we had uh, one woman, Mary, that was at the feet of the Lord Jesus. Here in chapter 13, we're going to find the Lord himself at the feet of his disciples. Now, three things come immediately into view. We're going to read this. Daniel has his readers, I think. And they're going to come up and read this. But three things come into view. Watch for them as we read. We're going to have uh, the table, the towel, and the traitor. The table, the towel, and the traitor. Simple mind like mine can understand this and we can follow it through. And I trust that all three of these subjects will be brought out probably. What we're going to do is highlight the towel. And I have one with me just uh, as a matter of fact. Because this is going to be uh, my object or our object lesson for today. Now, John chapter 13 is a vivid picture of the incarnation. A vivid picture of the incarnation, of the enfleshment. God manifest in the flesh. God came from the glory, came down to become a man. And we're going to see that in the towel. Yes, he was in the form of God, but he also took the form of a servant. And we're going to see that borne out in our passage today. He could say at another passage in the New Testament, whoever uh, will be the greatest, let him be the servant of all. And here in our chapter today is the greatest, the absolute greatest, becoming the servant of all at the table. 
Now, I want to say at once, this is not the standard pattern of administration, this, this action we're going to see today. You're not going to see a CEO or a chancellor or a president or any uh, uh, authoritative figure acting as the Lord Jesus did in our text today. It is not the standard pattern of action. Whatever realm you find yourself in, we are encouraged in the world in which we live to be assertive, right? To pump up ourselves, to parade ourselves, to be aggressive, to get noticed and to get results, right? Because we're climbing the ladder. Oh, we're going to learn today about one that climbed a different direction. So notice the three as we read through in John chapter 12. Daniel and company are going to read chapter 13. When Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. Then if your Lord, then if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent, sent greater than he who sent me. For if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one who I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke.
Bailiff, and Nathaniel. Verse number one of chapter number 13. Often referred to this section here in the five chapters is often referred to as the upper room ministry. Although the phrase itself is not here, it comes from Luke chapter 22 when the Lord sent them to this particular place referred to as an upper room. It was furnished for the Passover. Now, I notice in verse number one, it talks about his hour. John is the gospel of the hour. The hour, his hour is mentioned some ten times throughout the gospel. It's divided about in half. Part of it, his hour had not come, and part of it, his hour had come. What is his hour? You know, we could, you know, we we use that phrase in our uh, day, right? That your hour has come for whatever particular event. But for the Lord Jesus, it was the hour of his death that he would put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, his hour. In this little section, we read about his hour, his love, and his own. We're all going to come out in this section of uh, uh, the whole of John 13 through 17. And then it says that he should depart. He was going to depart. The end of chapter 12, we read the reason that he came into the world, to be a light. Chapter 13 and onward is the subject of his departing or going out of the world. This is often referred to as the farewell ministry of Christ. Think about this. If you were uh, a, a disciple, the Lord Jesus came to a group and he asked them all to leave everything. Right? To leave their business, to leave their life, and follow him. And now, after a short time, he's going back. He's coming into the world, he's leaving the world, and he's going to leave them, as it were, alone. And he says, you can't come. You can't come. After we've followed, after we've left everything and followed you, now you can't come. But it says, knowing he should depart. It was necessary. We read in the later chapter, why was it necessary for him to depart? That he might make them holy. Holiness is what I need. We're going to talk about that this morning. The Lord Jesus said previously, you are not of this world, but in this world, even though you're not of this world, you will be holy. If you know me, if you belong, if you are among those that are his own, you will be holy. You're, 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 that is, I am holy, be holy as I am, as, uh, be holy as he is holy. That's what we're called to do if you know the Lord Jesus as Savior. It says he loved his own. Now, the gospel of John is the gospel of love, uh, believe it or not. God's love for the world, God so loved the world, but God's love for the individual, praise the Lord, right? Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. It's a wonderful thing, right, to be loved, to love somebody, right? We, we have all these songs about love, you know, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. The world knows very little about love. Divine love is what we're talking about here, that, that having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. You know, it's easy. Uh, to, uh, what well says that he loved them to the end. To the end of what? He loves with an everlasting love. He always loves, but I think it's better translated, he loved them to the deepest extent, to the uttermost. Uh, and regarding the uttermost, we can see the action of foot washing here is remarkable. That's a love to, to the deepest extent, but nothing compared to Calvary love, right? Nothing compared to Calvary love. He loved them to the end. Think about this. He loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. One would forsake him. One would deny him. Uh, uh, one would betray him, right? And all would forsake him, but he loved them to the end. The unlovable, right? And that's how you and I feel. Uh, we, yet he, the Bible says he loved them. It's one thing to start out loving somebody. You know, we get that in marriage, you know. <laughs> when we get married, you know. But then to love, to keep loving, you know. That's another story, right? 
But he loved them to the end. We praise the Lord that he uh, loves to the end. And then we have, he kept on loving them. Verse 2, somebody else is in the room. It's a story of 13 men, but there's somebody else there. And that's the devil. Think about this. It's one thing to recognize that the devil, by the way, he's not the pitchfork character that cartoons make out of him. There's a real individual, a spirit being that is the adversary, the enemy of the Lord. And he is present in the world. He's walking about like a roaring lion, but he's also present in the room. This is scary, right? Uh, Somewhere in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 12, I think, 11 maybe, talks about the devil in the pulpit. The devil in the pulpit. Well, he's in the room, right? He's in the room. And we're going to see what he's going to do. Now, first, number three, fully conscious, right, of his heavenly origin and destiny and his sovereignty. At that very moment, it says he humbled himself, knowing that the father had given all things into his hand, that he was come from God and went to God. Just imagine, right, if you or I were, were all of a sudden promoted to the CEO of some, you know, tumultuous corporation in America. What in the world? We would never do an action like this, right? We would, we would just want to go out and, 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 and act like a CEO, whatever, right? That's not what the Lord Jesus did. Knowing that he held the highest place, he very willingly took the lowest place. Knowing that he has authority over all things, he bows down to take the task of a slave in this section here. The very one whom the Father had given all things into his hand, right, would be the one taken by, eventually, wicked hands and slain. Now, we're going to start seeing this in verse 4 and 5. It's actually a parable, right? It's more like a picture or a parable. And if we were to, uh, the action that Jesus took here, if we were to compare verse 4 and 5 with Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11, we can see, we could probably spend the whole morning com- uh, finding the comparisons that, that he who was in the form of God thought it, did not think it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He took on the form of a servant made in the likeness of men and so forth. Watch the action here. He rose from supper. Here they are around the table. He rose from supper. Here they were in the upper room. You can't get much higher than heaven. He rose from the upper room. He he could look down and he could see a need, right? He rose from the upper room. He laid aside his garments and he took a towel. He took a towel and he girded himself. If I had the dexterity, I'd do it for you, but I can't. He took the towel and he girded himself, you see. He, He wrapped it around himself because he was about to perform this lowly function. You see, he took a towel and he girded himself. He wrapped himself around. He, in the same way, you know, he, he took on flesh. We sometimes sing it, right? Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail incarnate deity. Well, he took on, he took on a towel and he began to wash his disciples' feet. Amazing love. He left his father's throne above, right? We sometimes sing. So free, so infinite, his grace. He emptied himself. That's what he's going to do here. He emptied himself of all but love. And bled for Adam's helpless race. We look further down the line. Now, if we were to trace it all the way through, you can see at the end of all of this, it says in, the, in verse number 12 that after this is all done, that he sat down. Where's the Lord Jesus today? He has sat down. Heaven's highest place for him is found, praise the Lord, after he has accomplished the Father's will. But what a humbling experience. To find the Lord Jesus, the one who was the highest of the high, humbling himself. Abigail in the Old Testament, when she was approached to take the, uh, to become the, the wife or the bride of David, she said, let your servant, uh, 
I'm your servant. I'm a slave to wash the feet of my Lord's servant. She took that humble place. So with all the authority and all the, all the knowledge that he had, they should have fallen at his feet, you see. But we find him washing their feet, stooping to wash their feet. Verse number six. He comes to Simon Peter. So you imagine they're at the table. That's part of our lesson. The table, right? Is identified later. The table. Here they are at the table. He comes to Simon Peter. And the, and look what Simon Peter says to him. Are you washing my feet? Can you imagine? I mean, you, 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 if you have a little glimpse of who the Lord is, are you washing my feet? You, Lord, washing my feet? The emphasis seems to be on you. Now, in verse number 7, here's where the, uh, this is where we begin to see how symbolic this is, this action, this story that is taking place. It was obvious. Look at verse number 7. Jesus answered and said, What I do you don't know now, but you shall know hereafter. It was obvious. Peter could see he was washing his feet. Why would he say, What's What I do you don't know now? But here was Peter trying to resist a simple action of having his feet washed by the blessed Lord Jesus. And I venture to say that in our lives, we try to resist other matters that the Lord will bring into ours, right? Here was a simple little thing of washing the feet. Nobody else could do it, right? Where was the servant? Well, the Lord took the place of a servant. Here was a simple thing that the Lord uh, uh, was going to perform, and he tried to resist this simple action. But I suggest to you that we, in our lives, we resist matters that the Lord brings into our life because we don't know or understand at the very present. And what we find out here, this is a good lesson for all of us, yours truly as well, temporary ignorance is followed by a complete understanding. What I do, he said, you don't know now, but you shall know hereafter. Present knowledge is incomplete, but future clarification is guaranteed. It's a wonderful thing that we can't figure out the Lord, perhaps, you know, at the times when he's doing this or that. But one day we will see the pathway from the divine point of view. Somebody said, I cannot, Lord, your purpose see but all is well if done by thee. Perhaps you've, uh, there's, a, there's a poem that I've heard since a child. I think it's about 100 years old. But it's a good to, to, to consider when the Lord brings into things into our life that I don't understand. Here was a simple action, but he can oftentimes bring things into our life. They're just a simple action, but we don't get it. You know, it, 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 it could be health. It could be wealth. It could be whatever it is, right? But we don't get it. Why, Lord? You don't know now, but you shall know hereafter. Somebody wrote these words. My life is but a weaving between my Lord and me. I cannot choose the colors. He works so steadily. Oftentimes he weaveth sorrow and I in foolish pride. Forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not until the loom is silent and the shuttle cease to fly shall God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. Bless the Lord. We're looking at the underside. We don't understand it, right? But you shall know hereafter. So he comes. Peter saith unto him in verse 8, you shall not wash my feet. I understand literally, you shall never wash my feet. To the age you won't. But notice the second part of the verse. Second part of the verse. If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Here we're going to find out that an effective servant is a clean servant. An effective servant is a clean servant. If you're here this morning, you know the Lord Jesus. We're going to read about later being bathed. We'll get that in a minute. 
But an effective servant is a clean servant. And we're going to see it uh, born out here. Notice the servant character of the Son of God in the towel, you see. But also the saintly character of the child of God, the use of the towel. Let's see, what is, what is all this? Well, look what he said. You have, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. No part with me. Not no part in me, but no part within me. So what seems to be in, 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 in uh, view here is, is not the union, but the communion. In other words, when a person is saved, they're united to Christ by faith in him. But as we move along in our earthly walk, we want to be in communion. We want to be in fellowship. We want to be at that table with the Lord Jesus every step of the way. We want to walk with him, right? So there is the bath of relationship. We're going to talk about that in verse number 10, the bath of relationship. We're going to highlight that in a few minutes. But then here is the bath of the rinsing of fellowship, right? There's something to this. No part with me. If I don't wash you, Peter, you have no part with me. Can you imagine the shock? Uh, I've been with you all this time, and for you, once my feet, I have no part with you? That's awful to, to think that that could be what could happen. Do I want my walk to be in step with the Lord Jesus? Do I want my fellowship? I ask, uh, we ask ourselves, do I want my walk, my lifestyle to be in fellowship with Him? It's often said that the Lord does not have favorites, but he does have intimates. So I would ask, are you an intimate? And I am intimate of the Lord Jesus. Am I spending time allowing him to perform this task? No part with me. So we just ask the question, are you clean? Are you clean? If you're a believer here this morning, are you clean? Are you walking in fellowship with you? Is there a proper communion between your Lord and Yourself. How shall a young person cleanse his way? By taking heed to the word, by guarding it, keeping it according to your word. So in verse number 10, uh, we're going to look. Uh, there's the standing. When we come to faith in Christ, there's our standing and there's our present state. That's what's talked about here. The standing is our washing of regeneration. We'll cover that. And then the state, the present state we're in, is, the, is a, that needs rinsing is our fellowship. Because we have soiled feet, right? In the old days there with the sandals and so forth, they needed their feet uh, uh, rinsed in order to carry on. And that he's bearing that out in our fellowship, our communion. Well, that's, so how does this happen? How do we have our feet rinsed? Well, first of all, notice regarding the standing and state. Listen to this. Every believer is accepted in the beloved. Praise the Lord. Ephesians chapter one. Now listen, Second Corinthians chapter 10 says, that's good. But every believer doesn't do things that are acceptable. Think about that. Every believer is accepted in the beloved, but not all that we do is acceptable. That's serious, right? Because, you know, in, in Second Corinthians 5, if we had a chance to look at it, we, we, we read there that we, the believer, he looks forward. He's here on earth, but he says, I want to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. Every time we go to a funeral, right? We're looking at a dead body, and we, we often use that phrase, he's absent from the body, she's absent from the body, but present with the Lord. And we say, praise the Lord. That's where I want to be. But as we move on in life, you see, that's where we want to be. We want to be, we labor, we strive to be acceptable. We strive to be well-pleasing. We need to do that, Right? Ephesians 5, we walk as children of light, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Every step of life's path, we should find out what is acceptable to the Lord. We want to please Him. 
Union and communion. They had union. They were united, but they needed communion. They needed, uh, he was leaving them in a dirty world and they would need to be clean and to have proper communion with him. The towel, right, that comes into view. So, how? Notice, the foot washing is initiated by the Lord. The problem is we resist, just like Peter. We resist whether, here, here, here's how, the, how, it, how it happens. Maybe it's a word from the scripture. You, 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 we're walking on our daily path and we, we, a verse of scripture comes to our mind or in our daily reading. The Lord is trying to rinse our feet to make us clean, to make us acceptable with Him, right? We want to be in fellowship with Him. It may be a word from the, from the Bible. It may be a word from a brother or sister. No matter how it's delivered, it may be a word from a brother or a sister. You know, maybe it can't always defend the way they do it, but, it, but if you, you can hear it, if it's from the Lord, you want to make an adjustment in your life. I want to make an adjustment in my, my life. A word from a non-believer. I remember one time at work, this the most ungodly individual that I could think of. He, he berated me for something I did, and I, re- I recognized it was of the Lord. I had to humble myself. Eat crow, whatever they call it, right? Because I recognize, and, and often perhaps that's happened to you as a child of God, right? You recognize that somebody brings something and they disrespect you or they say something wrong. Well, maybe the Lord is speaking, trying to constantly wash our feet and, and, and to be in fellowship with Him. And we want to, we don't want to resist. We want to go on. Let Him wash is the admonition here. He wants our fellowship. He, he, he stands at the door and knocks, you see. He stands at the door and knocks. He wants to come in and to enjoy that fellowship with us. Emily Post was an etiquette expert of a bygone day. She said, somebody asked her the question, what is the correct procedure when one is invited to the White House? Well, an invitation to meet the president automatically cancels all engagements. You forget everything else or anything else. And so when the blessed Lord comes knocking, you see, well, I'm reading the word and I see something and I'm convicted. Ah, forget it. I turn my, like the mirror, right? I look in, I see what kind of person I am and I walk away. No, he wants fellowship with us. Verse number 9, we see the opposite extreme. Verse verse 10, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. The pendulum swings the other way. Verse number 10, now the Lord is ringing it out. He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, but you are clean, but not all. He that is washed or bathed, that's the same word in in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, after a horrible list of sins, he says, but you are washed. You're washed. What do you mean? You had a bath? No, in the sight of God, you're clean. Your sins have been washed away by faith in Christ. You're, you're, you're justified. You're sanctified. So the first mention of wash is in regard to the whole body, the bath. But the second mention of washing or rinsing is, is just part of the body. But watch this. You are clean. But not all. For he knew who should betray him. Now, the main lesson, I think, perhaps, here is the humility example that the Lord Jesus gave us to follow. But the secondary lesson is very important. Here is the fact that some are washed and some are not. Right? He's sitting around. They're disciples. They've been chosen by the Lord. Right? They're close to him. They're sitting at the table. But some aren't clean. Some aren't clean. First Corinthians chapter 6, we referred to it. After listing all these awful sins of the unrighteous, and they'll never inherit the kingdom of God. They've never been washed. But once they come to faith in Christ, you are washed. 
You are sanctified. You are justified. And we notice in that chapter that the sin of covetousness is always listed among the most wicked devices. So think about that. If my life is characterized by... Maybe my life is not characterized by immorality. Oh, I stay away from that kind of thing. But my life is characterized by covetousness. And that's all I ever do is practice. Give me, give me, give me, give me. That person will never inherit the kingdom of God. There's never been a change. There's never been a washing. But not all. But not all. Thank the Lord, not by works of righteousness, which he has done, but according to his own grace, he has saved us by the washing of regeneration. Are you washed? I just asked that question to you, to me. It's a wonderful to be washed and to be clean in the sight of God unto him that loves us and loosed us from our sins in his own blood. You are not all clean. Who? He identified him in verse 2, Judas. So are you clean in this sense? The previous question, are you clean, believer? But here, the question would be, are you clean in the sight of God? Have you had that bath of regeneration? Have you been washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus? Has he, does he see you clean when he looks down? Right? Judas was not his own. I wonder what his sin was anyway, right? Covetousness? He, you know, that we read in another chapter that he pilfered everything that came into the bag. And by the way, that word, he, he, he was a thief. The Bible says the word, I think the word is a klepto, something like that. Where we get, you can get, get it, right? He was a kleptomaniac, right? He, he, but now John's writing of this after the fact, but he's pointing out his character. Now at the time, they didn't suspect anything. He's quietly stealing, stealing from the Lord. How about you? How about me? What, what's my action in life? You're going through just taking God's breath and not giving him thanks, stealing from the Lord. Well, that's what Peter, he was a thief, right? So we ask, whatever the case, whatever his sin was, he did not belong to the Lord Jesus. To whom do you belong? To whom do you belong? That's a question for you. That's a question for me regarding his own. It's a wonderful thing to be in that category, his own. All through John, we read about my, 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 my friends, my sheep, my disciples, my joy in you, and so on. What a wonderful thing to possess all of these things, to belong to him. Mine, mine, mine. Was Judas a believer in the intellectual sense? He could have been. He could have been. Judas looked like a disciple. He walked like a disciple. He talked like a disciple. You know, he was in the commission of Matthew chapter 10. Heal the sick, raise the dead. Can you imagine this guy going around an unbeliever? Healing the sick, raising the dead. It's, it, we have to assume that he was in that group. But he was never washed. He did everything they did. I want to tell you, there's a, there's a problem today. Contemporary Christianity. Crowds with pseudo-saints. Seemingly saved. Dummy disciples, quasi-Christians. That's what, that's what we find in contemporary Christianity today. That is sad indeed. And I want to tell you something else from the Word of God. The characteristics of unbelievers can be just like those of believers. Remember, Judas faked out the other disciples. They didn't know. Is it I? Is it I? Did I? Are you the one I'm talking about? You're talking about, Lord? They didn't know. But I tell you, contemporary Christianity crowds, and they look just like, they talk like, I, I have a long list. If you want to see it, please ask me after it. I won't go through it all because time is moving. But, but the characteristics of unbelievers, they've never been washed, never been sanctified, never been justified, but they look like them. And their characteristics are like this. They have high positions in religiosity. Worship leaders, you know, uh, uh, accepted on the church staff, but they've never been washed. Again, lots of characteristics. You want, to, you know, want another one? They worship God. 
I said I wouldn't name another one, but there's plenty of them. But in contemporary Christianity, you have a bunch of worshipers. But they've never, never, ever been washed. I know that because look at what the Lord said to the Samaritan woman. You don't know what you worship. We worship God. You don't know what you worship. But here are quasi-Christians. They maintain a cloak for show. What went through the mind of Judas? Our time is moving. What went through the mind of Judas when the Lord was washing his feet? He might have said, Lord, I need that bath. You're speaking of a bath. I need it right now. But he didn't. He didn't. What went through the mind of Jesus as he got to Judas's feet? Judas had the bag, you know. Judas had the bag, but Jesus had all things, right? Verse number two, he had all things in his hand. And yet Judas went forward with his plan. How sad, how sad. Judas was not his own. He had something that was his own, his own place. Later on, when he was going to be replaced, and somebody did take his place after he died, it says this, that Judas went to his own place, that place of eternal doom. He did not belong to the one who loved his own. You know, Jesus sent out the 70 and he said this, Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. He never said that to the 12. You know why? Because Judas in that 12, his name was not written in heaven. Is, is your name written there? Is your name written there? If you were to die right now and stand before the Lord, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. He did not belong to the Lord Jesus. Verse 12, after he had washed their feet, why didn't they stop? Why didn't they stop and say, I will do it? Why didn't they stop? And hey, here's the Lord stooping to wash the feet. Why didn't they stop? Could it be because prior to this, they were arguing about who's going to be the greatest? Verse 13 and 14. Um, verse 13 and 14, you call me master and Lord. You say, well, for so I am. If I then your Lord and master have washed your feet, you also ought to wash another's feet. Notice the two phrases are, are flip-flopped. You call me Lord, uh, master and Lord or teacher and Lord. If I then your Lord and teacher, what is it? Is there a significance to that? Well, some might be tempted to come to him as teacher and decide, well, shall I make him Lord? Right? No, we come to him as Lord and we do all he says as teacher. That is the proper attitude. Somebody said, employee, my boss and I never clash. He goes his way and I go his. And that should be the way that you and I function, right? Whether employee, whether wherever, right? We're going to go the way of the Lord. Do as I have done. There are actually three washings in this section. The bath of regeneration, the rinsing of fellowship, but also the washing of one another's feet. And we need the towel for that. Many things we can look at that. I don't think we'll have time to study. Our time is almost gone. But foot washing is a time-consuming ministry. It's a tender tender ministry. We don't want to use a wire brush on one another's feet. <clears throat> we want to use meekness, Galatians chapter 6. By the way, this is a very necessary action. You know, to be involved in the restoration of fellow saints. If any man sin a sin, First John 5. What's some of the things we can do? We can pray. We, we can, again, spend time on that. We won't do it. But it's a transforming ministry as well. Verse 16 and 17. Uh, the servant is not greater than his master, nor he that is sent greater than he who sent him. 
We can't say that I won't stoop because this guy, he's a lowly garbage man. I'm not going to do anything for him. He's just a kind of a, a, a you know, a second class saint. I'm not going to waste my time with him. The Lord of glory washed Judas's feet. And so you and I can follow in the same pattern. One church historian noted that we have failed our founder. We were more often wearing the robes of a ruler and not the apron of a servant. That's what we're called to do. One playwright said this, Christianity might be good if somebody lived it. True, happy, true blessing, verse 17, true happiness if you do it, right? Nike says it, do it, right? Well, here's the Lord Jesus said, if you know these things, happy are ye, blessed are you if you do it. We're going to skip to verse number 27. Our time is almost gone. After the piece of bread, Satan entered into him, Judas. Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. How many chances did Judas have to repent? If we read through the gospel of John, we would see that there are some of you, he could say way back in chapter six, that do not believe. He's pointing at the group. Some of you do not believe. He didn't repent then and he didn't repent now. You know, Judas was spoken of in Psalm 41, prophesied that, well, not Judas, a betrayer that would betray the Lord. And you say, there are those in Christendom today that would say, you see, 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 the Lord made him do it. The Lord made him do it. But I want to say this. Foreknowledge is not causation. He was not a victim of prophetic determinism. In other words, he was doing something against his will. He did exactly what he wanted to do. I am more and more convinced that we, the reason we don't repent, Christian and non-Christian, the reason we don't repent and don't change our mind is because we are so proud and stubborn and not willing to move an inch. Judas was not. You know, it's often been said, God does not send people to hell unless they first send themselves there. The righteous God will ratify human decision. He just seconds the motion, right? When his gospel comes to the unbelieving world, and perhaps to you here this morning, because you've never been bathed, right? You've never said, Jesus, I will trust you, trust you, trust you with my soul. I'm guilty, I'm lost, I'm helpless, but you can make me whole. A man says, I receive Christ as Savior for salvation. God seconds the motion, praise the Lord. A man says, I reject Christ as salvation. That's for my mother. That's for my father. That's for somebody else, but not me. God seconds the motion. I used to work at Burger King. Have it your way. It's too bad. But you know, when people end up in hell, they're going to have it their way. Because they never acknowledged, never received. But you know, we sometimes... Well, that was their destiny. God selects. Oh, no, no, no. God does not damn people to hell. People damn themselves to hell. If I am standing on top of an elevation and I'm watching the traffic in a two-lane highway and I notice a blind curve and the cars are coming toward each other in their respective lanes, but then the car behind, he says, I don't care about that double yellow line. I'm going to pull out and I'm going to pass. Now, I'm watching it. I can't do anything, you see. Is my foreknowledge the the, the cause of the head-on? No, it's not the cause of the head-on. But I see it's about to happen. And God does. He knows. He can see ahead. He knows the pharaohs that are going to exalt themselves and say, Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice? He knows that. 
But that's their own fault. They stand up. And perhaps you're not like Pharaoh this morning. Perhaps it's just a quiet rejection. Okay, not for me. Remember, it's your own will. Unbelief has to have a part other than Christ because he said, if I speak the truth, why don't you believe me? But, you know, back to that illustration. If one of those cars knew he crossed the double yellow line, if one that was coming, they're they're coming towards each other, they don't know it because they're on a blind curve. If one of them knew it, they would certainly get off the road. And that's the message that comes to you, that comes to me. Get off the broad road that leads to destruction. You're on the road. You know, heaven is not our uh, default destination, right? It's not. It's not. Then we ask ourselves, how can it be that somebody so close like Judas, so close could not belong to the Lord? There's been many today so-called Christians that have renounced the faith. It's puzzling. It's puzzling that those that whatever field they're in, they're just there. Why? They're on the inside crowd, but they were never saved to begin with. They turned from the Lord. I was listening to a debate. I felt so sorry for this guy. He's he's an atheist. He says, "I will." You know, I was once a born again Christian, but I turned from it. He was never born again. The Bible says, "If you're born into the family, you're in." He may have made an empty profession, but he was never born again. It's sad, sad indeed. Let's go back to the Lord Jesus. Our time is almost gone. Could this really be the sovereign as a servant? Stooping. Yes, it is. But listen to this. This is something that I'm just learning. This wasn't just a passing matter. It wasn't just a one-time thing. It wasn't just a one-time thing. The eternal character of the perfect servant explains for us the use of the word when he became a servant. Philippians chapter 2. The word used there is always the display of essential nature. It's not a display of temporal features. In the incarnation, the Lord Jesus became what he forever will be, a servant. The towel. Now, this is, this is important to get, to get a hold of. Because we think sometimes we, we, can, we can graduate in life and, 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 and be honored. <laughs> Look at me. But no, he was the servant always. He always will be. In the parable of a watching servant. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, he will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you, he will gird himself and sit down to eat and will come and serve them. Even in the day of his glory, our blessed Lord Jesus will not have ceased to be the true servant. How humbling is that? Yeah, we look back to the one, the perfect servant that gave his life, that was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And he served us in that way that he died for our sins. But we look on into eternity, you see. And we see him there. He's girding himself and he's washing our feet. He wants to do it now, but he's going to do it forever. What a wonderful view this is of the Lord Jesus, you know. But it's our calling too. It's our calling too. Many are called to be the servant of God until they are treated like one. I want to be a servant of God, you know. But when somebody leaves the luggage for me to carry, what's wrong with you? Oh, no, I don't want to be a servant. Somebody said the Christian life was never to be, never meant to be an initial spasm followed by chronic inertia. Let's ask some servant mentality questions. <clears throat> what? If every local church was a bunch of slaves serving one another. Scripture says, by love serve one another. Are others serving me, but I don't serve them? Do I receive hospitality, but never extend it? Do I receive from my spouse, but never give anything in return? Do I see a saint that is cold at heart and do nothing about it? How about this? What if every servant 
What if every household was a bunch of slaves? <clears throat> Is it known in your household? I don't do dishes. I don't take out the garbage. Let's hire a maid. <clears throat> we'll close with this, I think. I grew up in a household. <clears throat> I had a mother that... <clears throat> I don't think she ever sat down. She was constantly taking orders from everybody around her. That's what we expected. That's what she's there for. She serves. You know, it says Moses was the meekest man of all the earth. I, I got the impression after a while that my mother was the meekest woman of all the earth. She never sat down. The only time she sat down, she'd sit down at the piano when she thought nobody else was around to play the hymns of Zion, and we could sneak up on her, and there she is, bringing us into glory with those wonderful hymns. Oh, she'd sit down another time at the only seat in the house, you know, that necessary seat. We only had one of them. Many today, you have two, three, and four of these seats when you have to do your necessary duty. She'd have to drive early, arise early in the morning, you know, and I'd wake up, and there, a light is on, the door is cracked, and the Bible is open. She's there serving. She's there receiving her instructions from the blessed Lord Jesus. There's a servant. Now, I want to be like that. Do you want to be like that? Serving your, in your household? Is that what you're doing? That's the way I grew up. Doesn't mean that, or you didn't grow up that way. Maybe you didn't have an example like that, but guess what? We have the blessed Lord Jesus that he stands, and we see how the patient Jesus stands, insulted in his lowest case. Sinners binds the almighty hands and spit in their creator's face. <clears throat> the towel. I'll put it around my neck. A model of Christian conduct, a symbol of spiritual cleansing, a display of matchless love. We can't forget love. Sorry, we're a minute over here. Chapter begins with love. It comes in toward the end. It's possible to serve without love, but it's impossible to love without serving. First Corinthians 13 and John 13 tell us that. Two main lessons in this chapter that we've looked at are humility and holiness. In the towel. Humility is not thinking little of ourselves, but not thinking of ourselves. Twice in the Bible it says, before honor is humility. Before honor comes humility. Humility comes before honor. Listen to this in Philippians chapter 2. There are seven downward steps. We'll close with this. And when you get to the bottom, even the death of the cross, all of a sudden it's like the ladder is flipped around. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Bless the Lord, the servant takes the highest station. Our Father, we thank you now for this wonderful lesson. The blessed sovereign becomes the servant of all. And we thank you for our servant king and our prayers that we will be holy. We will be like, and if there's one here this morning that has never taken a bath, that has never been born again, that has never gone through that process of the washing of regeneration by receiving Christ as Savior, they might do that because they're one day, it'll be too late. And like Judas, they'll go to their own place. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.